With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, thanks for coming back after a little hiatus here. I am Ed McGrogan, catching up with Steve Tegner. We, of course, want to really put a bow on this men's season, Steve, that ended with uh, two events, truthfully, that may not have, either one may not have lived up to their original hype, the uh, World Tour Finals in London, the Davis Cup Final in Lille. Um, it, you know, both of these events actually had a lot of buzz, I thought, coming in. The World Tour Finals for the, you know, the number battle for number one, among other things. Um, and, of course, the, the France-Switzerland tie for the title. Really, you couldn't have asked for a much better uh, uh, final than that. Both events really didn't, really kind of came up flat in, in certain ways, actually, I thought. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think we thought... France, Switzerland, maybe the expectations were too high. I guess just the fact that it was, you had Federer, Vavrinka, and you had a good French team, and you had pretty much an unpredictable uh, outcome that didn't, that obviously didn't guarantee a great tie. Um, the French were hurt by, you know, first the Swiss were hurt by an injury, Federer's back, and then it turned out the French were even, you know, more disrupted by an injury, Songa played poorly the first day and then couldn't even play uh, after that. So, you know, that hurt France's chances. So the, the you know, that and the, and the World Tour final, you know, they were, the Davis Cup was a good ending in that, you know, we saw Switzerland win its first Davis Cup. We saw Federer win his first Davis Cup. But, um, you know, it wasn't, it was not quite what we had hoped for, I guess. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a distinction to be made, too, between, you know, competitive the competitive tennis that boils down to the most critical moment, critical match, and and just and you know separating that from drama, which certainly both these events still had a lot of, though it was more from perhaps what happened off court than on court. But, you know, one the the one player really who figure the most prominent player, of course, who figures into both these is Roger Federer. And I'm just wondering, you know, if he really, if his decision to pull out of the World Tour final championship match against Novak Djokovic, if that was, if he really justified that by his performance, particularly in the last two days of the Davis Cup, or do you think that decision ever needed to be, you know, justified by any by any performance in the first place uh, because that, you know, that was such a controversial move for a lot of reasons. Well, I guess, I mean, he doesn't pull out very often if ever. So I don't think there was, I don't think he was doing it. You know, you can speculate about whether he would have done it if Davis cup hadn't been played that week. I don't know. 
you know, I do think he takes the World Tour final seriously. He's in the ATP leadership and knows that that's their biggest tournament, the biggest tournament they own and run, and that I don't think he would pull out of that lightly, even you know, even with Davis Cup coming up. I mean, I don't think he justified it by. I don't think you look back and think he was right for pulling out and being careful because he won the last match in Davis Cup. Um, I think he had to do what you just hope he did what he had to do on that Sunday in London, and then he um, got better through the week and was okay after playing. I mean, really, his back got better once he played. That seemed to loosen it up. He was okay by the third set of his first match. So, it, you know, who knows? Maybe if he had tried to play in London on Sunday, it would have been the same situation the following weekend. No, that's a good point you make about match play really being the best practice for, for Federer because, um, you know, against Monfils in his opening match on Friday, this this was clearly not uh, anything like the Roger Federer that Switzerland was counting on um, or anybody really expected. It was a really one-sided match. And, you know, to me, I, I was... I was kind of surprised to hear that he would be playing the doubles only because it was it was just that you know lopsided and really uncompetitive and and I think once I heard that Vavrinka and Federer were getting the call in doubles I, I I think immediately at that point I started to think about really the way the tie could go a little differently because you know right after that Monfils match you're almost you're almost kind of wondering if Switzerland can even get to the fifth rubber and and try to get to Vavrinka, who who looks so good uh, on the first day. And obviously, we come to find out that's a little owing to Sanga. But that you know that was the perception of how things were going after day one, and you know the tie just completely sort of changed momentum uh, right away. I thought. Yeah, I think you have to look at you know you also have to look at Vavrinka's role. Winning that first match, um, you know, sort of keeping Switzerland in it the first day, and then, you know, I think he, I think his positivity, his aggressive play in doubles, that really, I know, even Federer said that that, that inspired him and 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 helped him. Um, he probably had to like Vavrinka to win the fifth rubber anyway, the way he'd been playing. Monfils had been playing well, of course, but, but Stan seemed to be, you know, really, really to be dialed in and be, you know, aggressively going after that. So I think he. You know, it, in that sense, it was a it was a team effort. Vavrinka won; they won in doubles, and then Federer won. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, speaking of of Vavrinka, I think now we you know we really look back at the season as a whole, and um, you know, despite you know Federer finishing number two in the rankings, I think you can make a great case that you know, aside from Djokovic, you know, this was really Stan Vavrinka's year overall. Um, he, he wins his first slam. He, uh, also wins, uh, a very, a very solid masters event. Uh, all of them are, but, you know, particularly on clay beats Federer in that final. And he, he bookends it with, uh, this Davis cup win, I think really, you know, just desserts for, for all the, you know, all the various ties that he's played over the years, you know, when Federer wasn't, um, always, up for the uh, you know the sporadic month by month competition, Vrinka was was Switzerland's you know top guy and and I think you know overall this is really going to be remembered as a a 
you know, the career year of Stan Wawrinka, for good reason. Yeah, I think, you know, he hasn't, I don't think it's a year that's going to lead to him becoming number one or winning a lot more Grand Slams. I think he still had a really streaky year, had some, had a great start and a great end and a, and a lot of ups and downs in between. But I think it showed him or also how good he can be when, when he's going well. You know, he, he, that, you know, his upside is, is higher than it's ever been. And, you know, I think that will, he'll continue to be a, to be a threat in that way, if not a consistent threat. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if, if you thought of this, it it wasn't anything I was thinking about. I, I kind of really like to savor the, the few morsels of time that we have in between the tennis seasons, but, but with a couple days removed for that, you know, do you expect, um, Federer Vavrinka to continue playing uh, Davis Cup next year because it, it it does I think at face value seem like you know the ultimate sort of one year everything sort of came together in the right way for Switzerland I think I think this speaks more to Federer in particular at, at his age and and what he is still surely aiming for from a, a personal level um, you know during the season but you know, do you expect this team to you know, mount a defense of their Davis Cup at all? I guess it just depends on, you know, you know, Stan. From Stan's perspective, he might—he's the guy who's been there all the ties, all of these years. He may feel like he deserves a break and needs a break from it. Federer, judging by his past, you probably would say he won't play again because he's played before this year. He'd played one World Group, one main draw tie in ten years. You know, he typically doesn't play that opening tie in February, and I, it would be surprise. You know. It would be surprising if they, if he did play. It's possible that he's in the spirit of the team now, and he and he would continue. I would, I would bet that that they will. They wouldn't. Neither of them would play the first round tie next year. But but we'll see. You know, we'll see what this what this win meant them, and if that changed their minds. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on the flip side, I I really kind of wonder where where this whole experience leaves the French team that, you know, the, the country of course puts so much stock into Davis cup, you know, their depth is just lauded by, by everyone. And, you know, and now I think you look at this tie and you can kind of really, you know, you really have to kind of think about it. is depth the key to Davis cup or is, you know, just having two, spectacular players that can play singles and perhaps doubles um, because, you know, on the whole, I, I thought this was a pretty poor showing, you know, on their part. And and you can go from perhaps some of Arnold Clement's decision-making in the captain's seat to, to Gasquet's performance, perhaps in, in both the singles and doubles, you know, to Song, of course, who we you find out has you know is certainly hampered by injury there but you know really the only one who comes off looking okay in the in this whole thing is Monfils and uh and and I kind of wonder where this really leaves France right now um I think they I think this one stinks for them yeah this is a tough one this generation had they were in the final in 2010 they lost a fifth rubber there um now they've lost another one it's a great it's been a great generation for the French and 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 you're right though the depth when you can only have four players on a team that kind of depth goes you know doesn't it doesn't not necessarily that useful they had Gilles Simon sitting on the bench 
for the for the final match. He couldn't play. He hadn't been named to the team. He might have been the best guy to play that match against Federer, but they had to go with Gasquet because you can only have four. Um, so I think it is a you know a pretty big disappointment. It's the third straight final they've lost. They haven't won since 2001. Obviously, tennis in the Davis Cup is a big deal there. I think you have to you know you you also have issues now with people second guessing what Clement did, who he chose. For this tie, um, should he have gone with Gasquet? Should he have gone with someone else? But you know, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. Gasquet and Sanga had been really good in the semifinals and had had won all the matches there. And I thought that was the right move to go with them. So it was so don't, quite almost, a it was quite a celebration the uh, in the you know purported away arena for Switzerland after winning the Davis Cup too you wouldn't have expected that uh fireworks uh, or not that but quite a quite a bit going on there for the away team winning yeah yeah, yeah they had they had a big crowd you know it was a bitter, pretty bitter weekend for for the French even Songa didn't you know even criticize the crowd so it was all a pretty much a disaster they're going to want to forget yes yeah clearly um how about i think some some other maybe final kind of takeaways that you have after this, you know, really these past two weeks have been, you know, the end of the tennis season from London over to the Davis cup final. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of maybe wondering one person we haven't mentioned in all of this, of course, is Djokovic who wins, you know, who wins the London via walkover. Um, I think you made a nice point in, really the the London wrap-up piece that, you know, really the only survivor in, in that whole week was Djokovic. And, but beyond that, it, it's, it's looking at his year as a whole. And if we're really perhaps undervaluing and, you know, really overlooking some really, hist- you know, his run of his, his run of consistency over the past four years and how he's, you know, clearly put himself in the conversation, um, you know, amongst the all-time greats. And, you know, I, I think many people would, of course, say that Djokovic is still in his peak years. And, and really, you know, these next couple of years are, are even greater opportunities for him to really just build, you know, what he's already done. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, obviously such a great player, you know, playing right now. Yeah, I think, you know, he's only 28. He seems like he's been around forever. He, he mainly partial part of that is that when you look back over his seasons he's so consistently in the late rounds of tournaments he's always there you know even even this year he finishes number one you probably it's not his not his best year or his most dominant he won Wimbledon but he also you know he won Indian Wells he won Miami he won Rome he was in the final in Shanghai or in the semis in Shanghai he won the world tour final like he's you know sort of taken for granted he's always going to be there at least in the semis or the final but going into the to the new year, I think it's a, I think it's a good time for the, the ATP, and that Djokovic is there. He's number one. He's not completely dominant. Federer, you know, he played some of his best. He played some of his best tennis at the end of the year. He's number two. Nadal will be back, and we know he's he's good when he's, you know, when he comes back healthy. Vavrinka's coming in to, to, you know, after a good end of the season, and so is Murray, despite the. Despite the World Tour final, he had a good he had a good run at the end of the year. So I think, in that sense, it's a pretty solid and open top five right now heading into you know at the end of this year heading into 2015. Yep, you have all those guys. Um, you know, you of course 
really have a younger crop too. There's about four, you know, four or five of them, including Dimitrov, Nishkor, Raonic, who were, I, I, who will really see. I think all made some nice strides this year, um, and we'll see really what, you know, what more they can do with, obviously some added expectations. Um, but time will be on their side a little bit. But and that brings us back to really the question about really what we see. Um, you know, how long this really, this, this quartet, you know, really takes ownership of the tour at the top there. But I think, obviously, there are a lot more questions um, that we have to ask about the men's tour at this point in the year. I think we had a lot of those questions on the women's tour coming in, and really, the year of the WTA was, I thought, a very satisfying year where, you know, it wasn't, you know, Serena Williams, for example, wasn't, the ultimate, uh, you know, winner in every tournament she played, far from it, in fact, at the slams. But I thought overall it was a very compelling women's season. I think that's perhaps, you know, where we, what we got on the men's, on the ATP side in a way, and, and it could be obviously a bit of foreshadowing for what's to come. And, um, and so that, I think, we will put our bow on the season here as we make our way toward the holiday season. So, Steve... We will be catching up later in the month um, to kind of really go over 2015, what we think about what will be coming up on both tours. As we say, there's a lot to digest and think about there. So we will catch up then, and we'll catch up with you at that time. Thank you once again for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 